0: Most of my memories now are are dad memories. Two weeks ago, I was flying home from Cocoa Beach, Florida. I spoke at a youth camp down there uh, several times in four days, and they flew my family down so we could be together for that camp. And we were on Southwest Airlines. If you've flown Southwest, you know you have to check in like 24 hours beforehand, and it's hard sometimes to get seats together. So when we got on the plane, Danielle and Christian and Casey sat on one side of the plane, and I kind of had an aisle seat just across the aisle from them on the other side. Um, and the kids were kind of doing their thing, and, and Danielle was reading. Danielle is a reader. I don't know if any of you have a relationship like Danielle and I. Danielle reads books. I watch movies. Um, if they ever make a movie about a book, we have something in common. If not, it's probably, probably not going to happen. I'm, I'm not a, a reader, and, and she reads. So she's got her little Kindle, um, which is like a little electronic tablet thing that she's reading on. She's got it at, at all points of every day. And as we're sitting on the plane, I, I keep interrupting her to ask her questions. So she's got kind of her Kindle... Like laying on her lap and i i kept grabbing her and said hey and i would talk to her and every time i would get her attention attention i would see christian flip over on her on her kindle every time i grabbed danielle he would go and he would turn the pages like like 15 or 20 pages and then she would look back and you could tell she was very confused she'd start reading and i got and, he, and i didn't realize what he was doing so i tap her on the shoulder and she'd look over and he'd go just as fast as he could turning the pages And by the time she kind of got back to her book, she was like hundreds of pages off where she had been. And Christian and I were just laughing for like a minute while we watched her, you know, she go backwards and forwards and check the table of contents. And it was like, okay, you had to let her know what was going on because she'd missed like hundreds of pages in this story. As we jump into the book of Acts today, we're going to read through a narrative where Luke misses hundreds of pages of the story. Um, It's not a huge deal within the book of Acts because if you've got your sermon notes and you're taking notes um, Luke who wrote the book of Luke and who wrote the book of Acts He wrote it for the purpose of teaching the spiritual history of the ministry of Jesus and his church to people So there's nothing in Luke chapter 9 that misses anything about the spiritual history of the ministry of Jesus and his church However, he misses a massive gap in the life of the Apostle Paul and this summer as a church, we're studying the life of the Apostle Paul so that we can figure out how to walk with Jesus just a little better like Paul did. And in Acts chapter 9, there's, there is what I believe the most misleading accidental gap if we just read the book of Acts um, in Scripture about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to follow Jesus. And, and it's, it's a gap that if you don't understand it, can be very, very frustrating. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter nine or dial up your tablet or your phone, whatever you're on today. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers have some that you can use. They're gonna come down the aisle. If you need a Bible or want one, just wave at them. If you don't like have your own Bible, take this one, put your name in it and take it at home. We've given away nearly a thousand Bibles since our church started three and a half years ago, just like this. And dozens of people every week carry in this Bible that they've gotten from our church. So take this one and keep it if you don't have one. But in Acts chapter nine, we're going to start halfway through verse 19, because uh, the Apostle Paul has just had a conversion experience where, where he's met Jesus, he's given his heart and his future to Jesus, and now kind of his, his Christianity is beginning. And we read about the early stages of his Christianity, and there's a lot here to teach us in Acts chapter 9. So I'm going to start halfway through verse 19. If you're reading in the NIV today, it's already marked out in your Bible that way, because it begins a new segment of Scripture. And here's what it says, Saul which was Paul's Hebrew name before he started his Gentile ministry, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch by the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night, and they lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and he brought him to the apostles and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and how the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with him and he moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and they sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. I want to show you three things before we dig into today's text just really, really quick because Acts chapter 9 presents an unbelievable spiritual season in our lives that all of us should be aware of because all of us are kind of somewhere in this journey. What Acts chapter 9 presents to us in kind of a synopsis is the picture of a person whose private faith is becoming public faith. It's the picture of how somebody moves from kind of being a closet Christian to living for Jesus every moment of their life and letting everyone know that they're a Christian. Some of you are in that journey right now. Some of you in the last little while have started following Jesus, but nobody knows it. Your family doesn't know it. Your neighbors don't know it. Your coworkers don't know it. Uh, The kids, your sports team don't know it. And and I don't even say this is a bad thing. It's just a season that you're in. All of us are going to have a season in our life where our faith moves from something private to something public. And some of you are in that season right now where Jesus has become real to you, but you're not sure how that will translate to your real life. And here's the reality. Jesus is so new in your life that if you told people or you went and posted on Facebook that you'd become a Christian, you were going to follow Jesus, most of them wouldn't believe you anyway. Like if you look at verse 26 closely here, it says, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. There are some people in your life, you really have given your life to Jesus, but you are so new in your faith, and your life still looks like your old life, even though your heart has changed. Most people wouldn't believe you're a Christian anyway. You know that you are, but sometimes it takes a while for our life to catch up to our heart, This is where Paul was. And this is what Acts chapter 9 is going to teach us. This spiritual season between kind of private faith and a public everyday life for Jesus, it can last a long time. And it's going to be filled with a lot of spiritual tension. And some of you are kind of wrestling through that right now. It's lasted a month. It's lasted a year. It's lasted a decade. Some of you, it's weird. You've kind of gone backwards. You used to have a public faith. Then you got a new job, moved to a new city, started dating somebody new, and your faith went from public to private. And now you're trying to figure out how to, how, to, how to come back out public again and live for Jesus. There's spiritual tension in trying to make the Jesus in your heart really real in your life. And what we find through Acts chapter 9 is moving from holding a private faith to having a public faith demands some key steps in your life that we see the apostle Paul take in Acts chapter 9. My belief is if we are willing to take these five steps to lean into these five things, That our faith is going to become a much bigger, much more present part of our life. But it's a process that we have to work through. And it's a process that has a little bit of tension. So today I want to give you some key steps to moving to a public faith where your life, like the Apostle Paul would say later, um, he said, I've died and my life now is all about Jesus. When people look at me, I want them to think about Jesus, not me. How does that happen? We see Paul did five things. Number one, he spent time with other Christians. Spend time with other Christians. This sounds really simple, but I'm learning that it's not. Look at verse 19, the second part of verse 19. So Paul has an encounter with Jesus. His eyes are open to who Jesus wants him to be. He gives his life, his future, his faith. He puts his faith in Jesus. And then here's the very first thing that he did. He spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Now, my life, um, my life has, has been weird the last 20 years Uh, in that when I was 18 years old, I enrolled at a Christian college um, to play football there. I didn't go to a Christian college because I wanted to be around Christian people. I went to a Christian college because they gave me a scholarship. But after I got out of college, I started in the ministry. And literally every day of my life since I've been about 18 years old has been spent in its entirety almost around Christian people. Like it's, it's just, it's the culture that I live and work and minister in and that I went to school in. And we were in Israel a couple weeks ago with a group of 12 from our church, and the last day in Israel, we're having dinner, and I sit down, and and one of the questions I had was, tell me the most impactful part of this trip. And everyone starts kind of sharing, and they all shared something similar to each other that was not similar to me. They all said something like this. It was just awesome being around Christian people all day, every day for two weeks. Because like when I go to work, I'm not around Christians, and, and when I hang out at the neighborhood block party, like, there aren't any Christians there. And some of them, when they go to family gatherings, there aren't any Christians there. And they're like, man, just to, like, be here and not have people dropping F-bombs and not, not have to hide from my faith. You know, at work, we don't stop and pray for our meals. Like, it was just unbelievable being around Christians. And I thought, you know, I, I, guess, I guess I've taken for granted that that's, my, that's been my life every day since I was 18. Christians need other Christians sometimes just to catch their breath from the world around us. And we see that Paul's first step was to spend time with other Christians. And listen, the first huge step of Christian transformation is what we call our church group life, is actually having a group of Christians that you live life with. It's the first huge step of Christian transformation. As a matter of fact, when Jesus invited the disciples to be a part of his ministry, before he taught them about theology, he taught them about community. He said, just come follow me. We're going to hang out together. We're going to have meals together. We're going to travel together. We're going to talk together. And at the end of three years, you're have, I'm going to teach you some scripture and stuff. But if you don't learn that you have to live Christian life together in a group first, you're probably not going to make it. The world is very, very hard by yourself in isolation as a Christian. So, group life is huge. It's the first huge step. But you know what? I believe it's also the biggest obstacle in the life of Christians. Because if we could be honest, all of us are people who, at one point or another, have been hurt by people. So, there's a guard up between people and people. If I could go a step further, there are many of us in the room who are people who have had bad experiences with Christian people or with church people. So that just adds a few more layers to the wall of us connecting with people. And if I could go even a step further, there are a lot of Christian people that are just weird, right? I mean, like you look at them and you're like, you know, they're just, those Christian people, they're just a little different. And you talk about telling someone to join a small group and they're like, oh, you know, I I don't, I don't know that I want to do that, man. Like I, I know a few Christians and They're just weird. You know, like what if I I mean you you can't imagine some of the questions we get about small groups. What if I go to a small group and like they make me hold their cat? It's like, you know, I I don't I don't know. Like, you know, not all Christians are cat people. You know, I don't know why people think that. It's like, what if I go to a small group and like we make butter together? It's like, you know, we don't we don't have any Amish small groups. Like we don't, you know, we don't we don't do that. If we even have any Amish people in our church, they're probably gone after today anyway, because y'all just laughed at that. Um, but it's like, you know, I I don't know. What if I go, what if they make me pray? What if they make me share a testimony? What if they want to cast a demon out of me? What if, you know, it's like there's this, there's this level of distrust in stepping into Christian community that I think is simply spiritual warfare because the devil knows if he can keep you from connecting with a group of Christians, he has kept you from the most important thing in your spiritual life. Saul became a Christian and the first thing he did is he started hanging out with other Christians. He had to learn what it was like to be able to live life as a Christian among Christians before he could live life as a Christian in the world. The second thing that he needed to learn how to do is he needed to learn how to tell a story and to be willing to share it. He had to be able to figure out what Jesus had done in his life, and then he had to be able to tell people what Jesus had done in his life. Look at verses 20 through 22. It says, at once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And everyone who heard him talked about his story. Verse 21, all those who heard him were astonished, and they asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest yet? Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. You know what's interesting about sharing your story with Jesus? Some of you, some of us, when we begin to tell our story of following Jesus, our story of Jesus is going to baffle some. They're going to be like, you're a Christian? Like, you love Jesus? I mean, there are some people in our life that if they heard we were Christians, they would laugh. There are, there are some entire sections of your old life. If you went back to your old school, if you went back to your old neighborhood, if you went back to your old team, if you went back to your old relationships and said, I'm a Christian now, it would baffle some people. But until we get used to, until we get comfortable telling our story of how it actually happened that we became a Christian, and we get comfortable by this. We can't have the impact that Jesus wants us to have. And as a church, we have recognized this. And this year, our big emphasis as a church starting in January was group life. Get everyone in a group, just beg them to try it at least once. And then we taught people how to tell their story because we believe the most important thing you need to know about Jesus is what he's done in your life. And if you know that, everything else is secondary. The Apostle Paul learned to hang out with other Christians. He learned how to tell his story and be willing to share it. But there's another step beyond this that if we just read Acts chapter 9, we miss. Number three, we've got to learn how to spend personal time with God. And this is where Luke, like my son a few weeks ago on the airplane, this is where he sped through a bunch of Paul's life. He just skipped it because he was telling the history of the church, not the history of the Apostle Paul. Look at verses 23 through 26, and I want to show you the gap Because when when we see this gap in history, I think a lot of us are going to see where we are stuck spiritually. It says, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket, through an opening in the wall. And when he came to Jerusalem, stop right there. If we're just reading that story like we read a book, it sounds like the apostle Paul gave his life to Jesus, immediately became the most effective preacher on planet earth and left Damascus and went to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem became the greatest church planner of the history of the world. And it happened in about a week. And we look at his life and think, you know, I'm a failure spiritually because, you know, I, I became a Christian and I got excited for a little while about Jesus, but then I kind of tailed off and I've not really done anything for Jesus. And we read Paul's story and we think I'll never be like this. I'm I'll never just jump right into Christianity. But when we read the Apostle Paul's life story through his eyes, according to what we understand through the life of the Apostle Paul, Paul did not transition from a private faith to a public faith life immediately or permanently. It took him a little while to get where he needed to be spiritually. It took him a little while to learn what he needed to learn spiritually. It probably took him a little while to figure out how to preach and how not to preach and and to work through even some of the things that he believed. When we read Paul's story from Paul's point of view, we know that Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. The very first book of the books that he wrote was the book of Galatians, written to a a series of churches in a region in modern-day Turkey called Galatia. And he began writing his books by telling his story. So basically, before I tell you what I'm going to tell you, I need to tell you a little bit about myself. And he told his story. And his story looks radically different than the story that Luke just told, because Luke's telling the history of the church, and Paul's telling the story of his life. And here's what he says in Galatians 1, 115 through 18, when he talks about how he became a Christian, and then how he really started following God. He said, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being." I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, that's the apostle Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days. I want you in your Bible to go back to Acts chapter 9 now, and between verses 25 and 26, I just want you to write three years. There was three years between Paul's Initial private faith in his public life of ministry. Paul spent three years really getting to know God before his massive public Christian life and ministry began. And here's what I find interesting about Paul's use of the word three years Paul started dozens of churches across Asia Minor in his time. We know that Corinth was the church he stayed at second to longest. He stayed in the city of Corinth 18 months. And it took him 18 months to establish a church there, then he left. He stayed at Ephesus longer than he stayed at any place else, and the Bible said he stayed at Ephesus two years, teaching and preaching every day in Ephesus to plant a church. But here's what we learned from Paul. Paul said, when you want to know the amount of time that I put into things spiritually, Paul said, I always put more into myself than I pour into others, because if I don't spend time allowing Jesus to get into me, I'll never be able to pour Jesus into others and we learn this critical life principle here that if we want to have impact for God and listen there's no one in this room who doesn't want to do something for God in this lifetime before we move on to the next one if you want to have impact for God you have to have intimacy with God if you want to have impact for God you have to spend time with God because the only way for us to see Jesus flow out of us is if Jesus flows into us. You know, and and I had our our team get this as as a little bit of an illustration because here's how Christianity works. A lot of us want Jesus to come out of our life. We want Jesus to flow through our life. We want, when our lives touch other people, we want their lives to be touched by Jesus. And here's how it's supposed to work. The apostle Paul said, I spent three years getting filled up with Jesus. And then I went and I poured my life out to others. Because when I am filled up, I'm able to be poured out. And what we have happened is we have this experience with Jesus. Some of you have had it at a youth camp. Some of you have had it at an old-fashioned revival. Some of you have had it on a missions trip. And you get filled up with Jesus. And for about, I don't know, six weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, our life and our conversations and our friendships are leaking Jesus. And then we get away from God. We get away from church. And we get out of the Word. And we say, this, you know, Christian, I just feel dry. You know, I just don't, I just don't feel Jesus anymore. You know, Christian, you could squeeze me all you want, but the, man, there's just I just don't, I don't feel like there's much left spiritually. I don't want to say, well, when's the last time you spent time with Jesus? Because if you don't fill up, you can't get poured out. And Christianity is supposed to look like lives that go from Jesus to others, and there's a transfer through you of what Jesus is. But a lot of us are like sponges that have never been dipped. And we say, no, I want to have this great impact for Jesus, but I just don't feel Jesus in me. It's like, well, when when is the last time you have filled up? Like, we don't just drive our cars around with gas without ever putting gas in them. We don't just live life never eating food. Like, when's the last time you filled up spiritually? You see, we, we live in a life where we read stories like the Apostle Paul's and we think, oh, we get saved and then we just go pour our life out for Jesus. No, 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 no. You become a Christian and then you learn how to pour Jesus into your life on a daily basis and then Jesus can come out of your life on a daily basis. So I believe during this three years, as you listen to everything that the Apostle Paul wrote, that he spent time really trying to know and understand God's word during this three years. He, he had to, before he could go tell everyone who God was, he had to figure it out for himself. He didn't just sit in church and listen. He spent time for three years, I believe every day. Arabia was a desert. He probably went to something like we would consider a, a monastery. He probably went to someplace where you just study God's word and learn who God was. This is why last week we gave you this little summer spiritual growth plan, and I challenged all of our church to, to have a summer of impact spiritually where you put Jesus in. Eight minutes a day is what I challenged our church. This is in your bulletin this week again in case you didn't get it last week. One chapter a day to read through the entire life of Jesus, to read through the teachings of the Apostle Paul, to read through the wisdom from Proverbs, to read through a little bit of Psalm 119. I believe if you will take time to put Jesus in, by the time you get to Labor Day, you'll have more of Jesus to give out than you ever gave out in your life. If you spend time really trying to know and understand God's Word. Secondly, I believe, because I know how much Paul knew of God's Word before he started, I believe Paul spent time trying to know and trust the heart of God. If you read the book of Romans and you read the book of Ephesians, you read that Paul wrestled with faith issues, trying to figure out what it meant to be a Christian and what Christian truth meant. Paul was a Pharisee, which meant many people think that the Pharisees had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Paul not only was a student of scripture, he was a teacher of scripture. He would have known the Bible well, but he knew a lot of scripture without knowing the heart of God so I think during this three years he wrestled through faith issues I don't know about you but there are some verses in the Bible I don't like there are some spiritual concepts I don't like and I'm wrestling through those I don't like the concept of hell I just don't like it I don't like thinking anyone could be separated from God for an eternity but if that's what the Bible says I trust that I'm wrestling through the issue that my feelings don't get to decide what's true and what's not true. God's Word does. So I read something in God's Word that that isn't what I want to do. I read about giving money in God's Word, and I don't have a lot of money to give, and I wrestle, I wrestle with that. And I have to learn to trust God's Word. I read about things that the Bible says are sin that I really enjoy in my life. And I see that God doesn't want me to do those, and I wrestle with that, but I have to learn to trust that. You see, growing spiritually is not just learning everything, but it's learning to trust even the things that you're wrestling with in your life and the lives of others. I believe Paul spent a lot of time wrestling because as he wrote his great theological books later, he would talk about the things that he didn't understand, but that he would trust. He would even say to one church, the things you don't agree with, just hang on. I trust that one day when you get to know God better, you'll be okay with them. I love that. If you're a Christian who just believes everything, you haven't wrestled enough. I believe Paul spent time wrestling, trying to understand the heart of God so that he could communicate that to the world. And then I believe Paul learned the importance of patience in the Christian life. He realized that spiritual maturity, that spiritual development didn't happen overnight, didn't happen in one day. Our passions and desires don't just change, but over time, if we'll follow Jesus, here's what I believe the apostle Paul learned because he would teach this later, small daily effort, just small daily effort, eight minutes a day is what I've challenged you to this summer. Small daily effort will create huge future transformation if you'll decide to consistently walk with Jesus. If you will just every day just dip your toe in, in the Word of God. If you will just every week just get, just get a little bit close. If you will just decide to kind of sit your life around Jesus, Jesus will fill up your life and you'll be able to have high impact for, for Jesus, but there's no impact without intimacy. We're just too dry spiritually of Jesus isn't constantly being poured into our life. But here's what Paul learned the hard way in Acts chapter 9. And I think as we have a private faith that tries to go public, I know that I've lived here, and I'm sure a lot of you have lived here as well, we have to anticipate judgment and persecution from others as we keep trying to live publicly for Jesus. Because like I said, our life doesn't move as fast as our heart does. And even when Jesus has impacted our hearts, a lot of times our life doesn't reflect that. So we go tell people, I'm a Christian now, and they are quick to judge, and they're quick to persecute, and they're quick to make fun, and they're quick like they did with the Apostle Paul to say, we don't believe you because you still cuss, you're still drinking, you're still smoking, you, you know, you're, you're still struggling in your marriage. You know, I don't believe, I don't believe you. Because your life doesn't look enough like Jesus. The Apostle Paul had this in verse 26 when he came to Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, and they didn't believe he was really a disciple. They didn't believe he was really a Christian. You're going to have people in your life. You say, I gave my heart to Jesus. They're going to say, whatever. Let me give you six months. Give it a year. Sadly, as a former youth pastor, I cannot tell you how many parents whose children Students had an impact with Jesus at the camp. We came back and I'd say, you know, man, your kid had an awesome experience with Jesus. And the parents would tell me, just give it six months. It'll wear off. like, man, thanks for believing in what God can do in your kid's life. We just, it's like we don't have faith on another's behalf. But this word in verse 26 in the original language, remember the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek. There's this word in verse 26 that I want you to circle. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried, circle those two words he tried or underline them or highlight them in your Bible. This word he tried is a Greek word written in the imperfect verb tense, which means he had to repeatedly keep trying to convince people of his authentic faith. The word he tried means he kept trying. And many times he failed, but he kept trying. He kept trying to convince the disciples that he was real and he failed, but he kept trying. And as you fail spiritually, and as you are ridiculed spiritually, as Jesus keeps shaping your life, all you can do is keep trying. I've had people say during this series, Christian, I've tried to read the Bible through before. I've tried to have a summer where I read every day, and I didn't do it. Keep trying. With two guys in our 9 a.m. service who are together, both trying to quit chewing tobacco. They've been chewing tobacco for more than 20 years, both of them. They've each tried to quit several times. They haven't been able to. So I said, keep trying. Just keep trying. Keep trying. So, Christian, I've tried to quit drinking alcohol. A dozen different. Keep trying. Christian, I've tried to start praying. You know, I just don't feel close to God. Keep trying. Well, Christian, I've tried to stop using foul language. Just keep trying. Well, Christian, I've tried to talk to people about Jesus and no one listens. Well, just keep trying. Do you you get the point of what Christianity looks like? You have to keep trying. You're going to fail over and over and over and over and over again, but you have to keep trying. You have to anticipate that when you fail, people are gonna say, see, I told you you didn't really love God. See, I told you you couldn't be a good Christian. And all you can do is say, well, I'm just gonna keep trying. I'm not perfect, but I will keep trying. In Philippians 1, 6, Paul said this to the church at Philippi. I'm confident of this that he, Jesus, who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul said, I'm confident that one day you're gonna be a great Christian. But look what he said in Philippians chapter two, a chapter later, he said, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Paul says, I'm confident that one day you're gonna be a great Christian, but it's gonna be a long road. And he said, throughout that process, you're going to have fear and you're going to have trembling. You know what the fear represents? The fear represents a standard of righteousness and holiness that when we look at our life now, we think, I could never be a Christian like that. I'll never be able to be a great Christian. It gives us a fear of, of even trying. But Acts 9 says, keep trying. This word trembling is a word that symbolizes anger. It's a word picture used of Isaac when his son Jacob stole his birthright. It said he shook with anger. It's the thought spiritually that as you try to live for Jesus, you're going to come across some things in Scripture that make you angry. And you'll say, God, I don't want to believe that. And God, I don't want to do that. And God, I don't want to live my life like that. And God, I don't want to give up that thing in my life. And you're going to have times in yourself where you're angry spiritually. Paul said, just work through that. Don't quit. Work through that. Just keep trying. What if I'm afraid I can't ever be a good Christian? We'll keep trying. What if I'm angry at what I feel like God's called me to do? We'll just keep trying. Anticipate that it's gonna be difficult. Spend personal time with God and just keep trying. It's interesting how we love to hear that for ourselves, but we don't give that much grace to others. And as I look at Acts chapter nine, and as I read the story of the Apostle Paul, I realize it's both hypocritical and it's hypercritical. To judge the authenticity of somebody's faith, who at the very least keeps trying. Because that's what we do as Christians. We've got this clock in our head that says, you know, if they're really a real Christian, you know, six months, they'll apologize. In four months, they'll quit doing this. You know, next year, they'll tell a friend. You know, they'll never go back. We, We set these expectations on people that are both hypocritical and hypercritical. And when Jesus talks about the Christian life, one of his favorite analogies is is to compare it to a seed that's planted. He said, a new Christian is like a seed that's planted. Can you imagine any of us going out and planting a seed in our yard and then pulling up a chair and just every day for days wondering if it's real, if it's gonna grow, you know, if it's gonna work, if it really loves being a seed, if it wants to be a tree, if it will be a tree, I mean, we don't do that. You know that when you plant something, you have to plant, and then you just kind of have to walk away, and it either grows or it doesn't. But man, with, with Christians, with our Christian kids, with our Christian spouses, with our Christian family, with our Christian friends, we want to we plant them, and then we immediately want them to grow. Like We want to set down our chair, plant a seed, and by evening we want it to look like a tree. We want people to come in, go to the altar, and then leave the perfect Christian like it appears Paul did in Acts chapter 9. But that's not how it works. And a lot of us, if we don't see enough Christianity soon enough, we're just like, throw it out. They don't love God. Jesus spoke to this in Luke chapter 13. It says, he told a parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, but I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for another year. I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. What if we would decide to be a church that instead of judging fruit, we said we're just going to work to till up the soil so that people have a better opportunity to bear fruit. What if we were the, the people that when, when everyone's faith was being questioned, we said, wait, 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 give them one more year. Let's give them one more year. Let me pour into them a little. Give them one more year. Let's pray for them. Give them one more year. Let's put them in a better environment. You see, the question that we have to ask ourselves is not, is this seed real, but how can we help this spiritual seed develop? And if we just look at it through sheer terms of farming, here's three things you can do to help a seed develop. Water it. Pour water into it. You see, if we will take a Christian who's a Christian who's not growing, and we'll just say, you know, every day I'm going to figure out a way to pour some Jesus into them, that might help spiritually, unless you pouring Jesus into someone looks like this because you have no Jesus in you see so I want to help somebody develop spiritually guess what you got you got to get filled up then you can help someone else develop spiritually we can not only water it we can position it for those of you who grow flowers and plants and stuff in your yard that grows up out of the ground you can tell I do a lot of that um, you, position is everything you got to put it in a position where it's not in the sun 12 hours a day or it will. you got to put it in a position where it's not in the shade 12 hours a day or it won't be any good. So specifically, those of you who are parents, none of us can make our kids grow spiritually or love God, but we can say, as long as they're under my roof, I will position them to at least have Jesus shine on them a little bit of their life. So they're going to come to church. They're going to go to youth group. They're going to go to camp. are going to expose them to mission trips. I'm going to position them to where the light of Jesus shines on them. Maybe they'll grow, maybe they won't, but I will position them in the right places and then I'll protect them. Number three, protect. I'm gonna cut down the weeds that grow around it. I'm gonna spray around the ground. Things that are gonna threaten the existence of growth, I'm gonna get rid of. So as parents, we gotta, when it comes to media and social media and friendships and relationships, we always gotta be aware of the things that are gonna keep our kids our teens from growing spiritually, or those of us who are trying to impact other people spiritually. These are things we can do. Let's not be the people that question the authenticity of everyone's faith. Let's be the people who say, give them one more year, let me help. Give them one more year and let me help. Okay, and then at the end of that year, we say, okay, give me one more year. I i got some different stuff I want to try. Let us be the church that never gives up on anyone because we realize there's a tension between private faith and public life. And then number five. For those of us who really want to see our faith become a public part of our life, you prove your change is real with consistent actions, not just convincing words. Paul had convincing words from the beginning. A lot of us can really speak a good faith story, but we're not living it yet. So consistent actions are key to our faith having impact spiritually. It says in verse 8, Saul stayed with them. Once he convinced them, he was... Really, a Christian, he stayed with him, and he moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, all of a sudden, he's one of of them now. They took him down to Caesarea. They sent him off to Tarsus. That's its hometown. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace, and they were strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. So transitioning to a public Christian life is going to bring you three things. Number one, it's going to bring you peace. Because there's a tension that exists between being a Christian and no one knowing about it and being a Christian and letting everyone know about it and being a Christian who really doesn't know how to be a good Christian yet but having people judge you for it. There's a tension that exists in those arenas. But once we're able to live for Jesus publicly, there's a peace that settles into our life. There's a strength, number two, that comes. There's a strength that we offer people who are watching our life and then there's a strength that God gives us by bringing people around us And allowing our story to begin to have impact as we spend time with Jesus, pouring Jesus in so that we can pour Jesus out. And then thirdly, there's encouragement according to verse 31. People are encouraged when a Christian with a private faith steps out publicly and says, I'm going to follow Jesus. And the things I get wrong, I'm just going to keep trying. I'm not going to quit. I'm just going to keep trying. I'm going to publicly acknowledge I'm trying. And I failed, but I'm going to keep trying. You know, I saw a movie about a month and a half ago that reminded me of Father's Day. It was a movie called The Water Diviner starring Russell Crowe who starred in The the Gladiator. And it was a movie about a dad from Australia whose three sons were killed during World War II and he went to retrieve their bodies because they were all three killed at the same battlefield and bring them back home so that he could bury them on his farm and he thought he could go find his kids. And he got to the island where this massive battle went down and where his kids were lost, and at first they wouldn't let him on the island because there were still, uh, there, there, were, there were shells that hadn't bl- been blown up yet, there, you can imagine the carnage of World War II, there were bodies everywhere, and he convinced them, just give me some time to look for my sons, I know from where they wrote me, I know where they were, just give me some time to look for my sons, I need to find them so that I can take them home. So one of the guys in the movie felt sorry for him and allowed him to search the island, And in one scene, it shows these military people up on a hill. This shows Russell Crowe walking around this battlefield with corpses everywhere. And one of the guys says to the other one, why why did you give him permission to be here? He's not supposed to be here. Why'd you let him stay? And when he said it, I immediately wrote it in my phone and thought, I'm going to use that on Father's Day. He looked at him and he said, he was the only father who showed up. He's the only father who showed up. So I thought, what's What's the worst that can happen? When you today on Father's Day look at how to pursue your heavenly father, the answer is simple. Just keep showing up. Keep showing up. If you today want to pursue Jesus and be close to Jesus, you've got to show up every day for your appointment with Jesus. The plan I've given you is eight minutes a day. So that's not even a real appointment. Yeah, but if you will will just stop your life If you will show up every day on God's doorstep and say, I got five minutes, I believe God will radically change your life. Five will become 10, will become 15, will become 20. Just keep showing up. If you're a dad today, I could have preached an entire message about fathers, but if you're a dad today, one simple message will give you 90% of what you need. Just keep showing up. As I keep showing up in your kids' lives, keep showing up at their important events, Keep showing up in your marriage, keep showing up to give a hug, keep showing up to encourage, keep showing up to comfort. Ninety percent of our jobs as parents is just to show up, just stay in the game and be there. Just keep showing up. It's funny how pursuing our Heavenly Father and being a good earthly father can be done with the same advice. Just keep showing up. God wants to radically transform your life. He understands it's going to take time. It's going to take mistakes. You're going to have to keep trying. But today we've learned that if you will spend time with Jesus every day, let him pour into you, the natural outflow of that life is going to be Jesus coming out of you and having impact in the world. So that's my challenge and my prayer for you as we close today. Can we pray?